that he can drink. Then, in verse 7, and after a while, the brook dried up. Now, no water. The reason why they had any water no more is because it hadn't rained. And that's what God said would happen. It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. You're not going to have rain. You're, going to tr- you're trusting in the idol, so it's not going to rain. And so, and after a while, the brook dried up in verse 7 because there was no rain in the land. What in the world do we do when our brook dries up? What do we do? What do we do when there's no water? Put yourself in Elijah's shoes. He's not worried about making a house payment. He's not worrying about a car payment. He's not working about the light bill. He's got none of those overheads to be concerned with, but he's got to have water. The brook dries up, and if Elijah doesn't have an intervention, he's going to dry up. I don't know how long he'd have out in the desert without any water, but if there's not any water in that creek, if there's not any water in that brook, most likely there's not any water in the Jordan River either. I mean, if it doesn't rain for several months in our land, Lake Weatherford will be dry. Possum Kingdom will be dry. I don't know how in the world they're going to be able to keep that nuclear power plant going down there, but it's going to get every inch of lake water until they don't have any lake water there, and all the water all the way around us is going to be gone. You will not have any water wells. Do you know that? If it doesn't rain for three years, you're you're not going to have anything. You're not going to be able to go down deep enough for it. The, The people are going to just take it all. It's going to be gone. And we're going to have no water. There's not going to be any water bottles at Walmart. There's not going to be water bottles at HEB. What are we going to do without water? How are we going to live? How are we going to function? What do you do when all the water dries up? What do you do when your brook runs dry? Now, you can apply this when you lose your job and you run out of savings. You can apply this, you have a problem that you can't solve. Now, all of us are kind of wired to solve our own problems. We kind of live with a net. We've got medical We've got help. We've got structure around us. There's infrastructure. And so we don't, we don't really know yet how to live without a net here because we've got a net, right? But, but here Elijah finds himself, the brook is dried up. So your money dries up. Your relationship dries up. Perhaps your health dries up. What are you going to do when there's no answers for your health? There's no answers. You go to this doctor, this doctor, this doctor, this specialist, this person, no answers for your health. What do we do? Well, I think here, I, first of all, I want you to know that I believe that what we're about to read today really did happen, okay? I mean, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Because I do believe the Bible completely. I believe that everything that he, that he says in here happened, happened. But I really believe this happened. And not only did I believe it happened then, I believe this still happens now. I believe with all my heart, all my being, with, with all my limits, I believe that this happens now. So what do you do when the brook dries up? Let's, let's learn from it today. I'm going to read the passage all at one time, and then we'll go back 
and I want you to learn some lessons today. I, I, I hope that I can communicate this well enough for you to be able to leave to go and say, I'll start applying those principles. All right? Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in the jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks at the city gate, which is quite fascinating to me. I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. First of all, verse 8, when your brook runs dry, hear from the Lord. Expect the Lord to speak. Because when it comes to provisions, we have the promise that the Lord is going to take care of us. Jesus said, look at the birds. Look at the birds. You don't feed them. They don't plant. They don't work the harvest. But the Lord takes care of the birds. Are we not of more value than they are? We have the wonderful promise of our Lord that when our brook runs dry, the Lord is going to care for us, and the Lord is going to speak. So when your brook dries up, the very first thing we need to do, if we're not in condition of mind and heart to hear the Lord speak, is we need to put ourselves in a position where we can hear from Him. Because I promise you, I guarantee you, He is going to speak. It's His character it's his way, it's who he is, he is love, and he is going to come and do business with us when our brook drives up. You can count on God to do that. He will speak. So obviously we need to pray, obviously we need to listen. We need to listen clearly when our brook dries up, when we don't have answers for life, when problems are overwhelming us, when the money runs out, 
when the water runs out. We need to hear him speak. It just simply says, then the word of the Lord came to him. And when you're going through a real difficult time and the brook is going to dry up in your life, when the brook does dry up, the Lord is going to come to you and he's going to speak. When he speaks to you and he gives you instructions, verse 9 and 10 says that we need to do what the Lord says. Now that's obvious, right? Hear me speak, do what he says. But don't we all at times in our lives struggle with his plans, with his instructions? Because often his instructions make no sense to us. We've got example after example in the scripture that when our brook dries up and we have no answers for life, what the Lord tells us to do doesn't add up to us. It's something we've never done before. It's something we never trusted before. It's a way we've never gone before. It's a method of life that we've never practiced. And, and it often catches us off guard. And many times the Lord speaks to us as his children, providing the solution, providing the plan. And we go, oh, man, no, not that. That's beyond me. That's beyond my understanding of how life should be. And so we need to be careful of that. Jesus said that what good is it to call me Lord and, and to hear my voice, to hear my instructions and not do what I tell you to do? And so we need to guard ourselves. We need to condition ourselves. I mean, we need to get ready for this. Get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm going to hear the Lord speak, and whatever the Lord tells me to do, I'm going to do it. Look in verse 9 and 10. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Where in the world is Zarephath? Zarephath is on the coastline of modern-day Lebanon today. It's between Tyre and Sidon. It's there. It's still there today. Zarephath is there. It is 85 miles away from where Elijah is. Now, think about that for a moment. Surely, Lord, you got somewhere closer for me to go. Surely, you don't want me to walk 85 miles and he would have to go through probably part of Samaria where Ahab reigns to get there. Lord, you got to be kidding me. I mean, how in the world is that going to work, that I'm going to walk all that way, 85 miles? I don't have water here. I don't have enough water here to put in any, any of my containers. How in the world am I going to get there? Now, it doesn't give us any of the elements of the journey of the trip, but it's 85 cotton-picking miles away. I'm going to have to pass up lots of people if you prepared them could help me. But it was the Lord's plan. So he's going to leave east of the Jordan, and he's going to have to travel up through the mountains around the Sea of Galilee, and up through the mountains that are in the, the, the northern part of Israel, and then in the southern part of Lebanon, and he's got to make his way to the middle of Lebanon to Zarephath. And he's, he's supposed to dwell there. Isn't that crazy how the Lord does that? Abraham, I want you to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, and I want you to follow me, and I'm going to take you to the place that I'm going to show you. 
And what next? I'll get to that when I get to it. What's next? I'll tell you when it's time. You just take a step. You take a step in that direction and see what I do. You take another step in that direction and see what I'm going to do. Lord, your instructions make no sense to me. The Lord says, you, you, you worry about you and I'll worry about me. And you do what I've commanded you to do and see what I'm able to do in your world. But go to Zarephath doesn't make any sense whatsoever from human point of view, human reason. And, and all he tells them to do is go to Zarephath and dwell there. Just live there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Wait a minute. Elijah's a young man. Elijah's a strong man. He walks around a lot. I mean, I, we don't know much about his physical attributes, but I reckon he's a strong fella. I want you to go to Zarephath and dwell there, and there's this widow lady there that's going to feed you. Hmm. I'm going to pass up how many farms? I'm going to pass up how many businesses? I'm going to pass up how many wealthy people along the way? I'm going to pass up how many able people that are not in dire conditions like this widow lady? Because back then, to be a widow lady meant that you had no source of income. It meant that everything, it was a man's world, and everything funneled to the man, and the lady, she just had to fare well, the best she could. Hopefully she had a family that cared for her and loved her, but, but most widows really struggled like they do in third world countries today. They're in Israel. And so his information is, go to Zarephath, 85 miles away, and stay there, live there, and I'm going to have a widow lady feed you. Hmm, that doesn't seem really promising, does it? Verse 10, so what does he do? He arose and went to Zarephath. Obedience, obedience, like the rhino. The rhino cannot see 30 feet ahead of itself, but it runs 30 miles an hour. That's faith. Get up and go, Elijah. He arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, now, this really is fascinating to me. He comes to the gate of the city, and what does he do? He beholds. What is he doing? He starts looking for a widow lady. That's what we do. When, when we receive God's assignment, when we receive his instructions, and, and the little pieces of information that he gives us, we go to the place where he's told us to go, and we look for the pieces that fit into his plan. And one of the pieces of his plan was a widow lady. Now, at the city gate, all the businesses are taken, all the business transactions are taking place. I don't know for sure who all was at the city gate, but it's likely there was a banker there. It's likely there were some lawyers there doing business. It's likely there was a rabbi there at the gate. It was likely there was a farmer there at the gate. It's likely that there were shepherds there at the gate. It's likely there was a blacksmith there at the gate. It's likely the employed were there at the gate doing business, making deals, transactions are taking place. 
And what does he look for? Well, God's plan is, go to Zarephath, dwell there. There's a widow there that's going to take care of you, that's going to feed you. And so when Elijah gets to the gate of Zarephath, it says, Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And I guess Elijah goes, there she is. I wonder if it was the only widow that was there at the gates. I don't know. I mean, you can just speculate all you want. I like to think about those kind of things. What an amazing thing. Now, 85 miles, I don't know how long it took him to walk that 85 miles. It's a pretty tough walk. A lot of hills he's going to have to go up and down. And so maybe it was three days, four days, five days. I don't know. I don't know where he got water. I don't know what kind of physical shape he was in when he got to the gate. But after all that time, the, the unreasonable, illogical plan of the Lord might be taking hold of him. And when he gets there, he goes, a widow lady, what the world? No. And, and, but, but he doesn't do that. He's still being faithful to the, the command, the instruction of the Lord. And he finds this widow lady, and, and, and look what she's doing. She's gathering sticks. That's promising, isn't it? She's gathering sticks. That makes me think she's getting the leftovers. She's poor. She's trying to get enough sticks together. And so he calls to her there in verse 10. He says, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, verse 11, uh, verse 10 here, we, we, can't, we can't look beyond the widow lady. Uh, we don't know what kind of encounter she had with the Lord before this event happened. But in, it is very custom with the Lord when his plan is laid out there and when his plan is being acted upon, all the pieces of his plan are prepared. And so in some way, the Lord prepared this widow lady to the plan. I don't know if he worked on her acceptance. I don't know if he worked on her generosity. I, I don't know if he just knew her very well and he understood. Perhaps she was a believer. Perhaps she knew the Lord and she was faithful. And, and, and he just knew that she would help out. I, I have no clue about that. But, but he had to prepare her. And so... When you hear the Lord speak and he gives you the plan and you obey the plan, understand, accept, trust, believe. Believe it that all the pieces of the plan in due time, at the right time, at the perfect time, the Lord is going to make those pieces fit together in his plan. And so get on down the road. Even if it is 85 miles and you don't have any water to go and it's a hard trip, head that way. Because the Lord is going to lay it out for you. Move forward knowing that the Lord will prepare those who are going to help you. Now, let's look in verse 11. And as she was going to bring it, so she goes for the water. And as she was going to bring it, ah, by the way, you know, since you're going that way anyway, how about bring me some bread? I'm sure you fellas do that at home, don't you? Hey, lady, since she's up. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, 
Listen to what she says. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. God's plan involved a widow lady who had took inventory of the flour and oil she had. And so she goes to the city gate and she's getting enough sticks together for her to, to, to be able to bake enough bread for her and her son to have their last meal. That's what God has prepared to feed Elijah with. Doesn't make sense, does it? But when the Lord's at work, he's able to take that which doesn't make sense and take it a long way and feed and, and clothe and care for and, and make a difference in people's lives. For thus says the Lord God in verse 14, he says, first of all, verse 13, excuse me, excuse back. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself. You know, her mind's going, there's not enough. I know how much is there, it's not enough. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord brings sins, rain upon the earth. And the reason why I know that God had prepared her for this is verse 15. And she went and did as Elijah said. There's not enough for me and my son. I don't even know this cat. I don't know who he is. He shows up at the gate, and, but because he said, all right. Now, what happened? And she went and did, as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. They ate for many days. When we are obedient to God's plan, he blesses others around us. It is, a, it is a miraculous thing when one person is obedient, for many will be blessed. And the many that need to be blessed, perhaps the many that are hurting, perhaps the widows in symbolism here, like her and this boy of hers, who are struggling to make ends meet, who have no hope for tomorrow, who are without hope, without possibility, just, just the, the grind of life has just been too much to bear. And now they're ready to quit. They're ready to just eat all they've got and die because there's no solutions out there when one person hears from the Lord, is obedient, and does what the Lord says and goes where the Lord says to go, and does what the Lord says to do, many along the way and at the destination are blessed, are helped. God still does that 
today. God still does it today. Verse 16, take this home with you, swallow it, live it, learn it, apply it. Let this become your battle cry. Let it become what moves you, what motivates you, which inspires you. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. We don't know how many days those days they represent in verse 16. We don't know how long that is that we have there. We don't know if it's a month. We don't know if it's two months. We don't know if it's three months. However long this is, that one meal, that one cupcake, that one piece of flat cornbread perhaps, or that one, one just, just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. That, I mean, every single day you go back and you look and there's more oil and there's more flour. And you can cook again. The next day you go in, there's more flour, there's more oil. You can cook again. You can cook in every day. You, you reckon they get to be so, it can be so commonplace that you just expect it to be there because the Lord said to and you just keep on eating and eating and eating, not complaining one bit about all you have is a little bit of cornbread every day. I reckon you can live a long time off a little cornbread because that's what's taking place. There's a little bit of bread. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord. What are you living on? Elijah, what are you living by? What, this widow lady, what would she say she's living by? I'm living according to the word of the Lord. I'm doing what the Lord said for me to do. Are you there? Are you living according to the word of the Lord? Have you heard him speak to you? And you're just doing what the Lord said to do. Fixing cars, digging ditches, plumbing, let be an electrician, being a builder, being a worker, being a teacher, being a business leader? Do you know for sure that you're living where the Lord said to live? Why do you say that? Well, there's nothing better than living where the Lord said for you to live. There's nothing better than that. Has the Lord said for you to go to Zarephath? Has the Lord said for you to go to Lido? Has the Lord said for you to live in this house, this street? If you don't know, ask him. He'll tell you. Am I where I need to be? I want to be right where I need to be, Lord. Have I missed something along the way? I want to be right where you want to be. I want to be doing the work you've asked me to do. I want to be doing the kind of ministries that you want me to be involved in because I want to experience in my life flour not running out and oil not running dry. To live according to the word of the Lord. It happened then. I believe it. It happens now. I believe it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this story is real? Do you believe that the Lord still does this? Let me close with this, this story. Probably said, shared it with you four or five times, but can't think of a better one. It, it, it's hard here in our country to understand what it's like for the water to run dry, to have no options. Long time ago, many, many years ago, we have a group of men in Cambodia and they just happened on this brick factory. They happened on this brick factory. 
And they got to be an interest in that, how they making the bricks, how's it going. And so they got in there and started working with them and started hearing from the people and listening to people and, and really hard work, really bad living conditions, very difficult situation. And they learned that Brick Family, a big factory, that the fam- it was a family working there and they had an unbelievable quota every day they had to meet. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but here it is. They've got to make so many bricks for them to pay for their food and their lodging, which is nothing but a shack right there by the brick factory. And if they make this many bricks, which was an unbelievable amount of bricks to be able to make in a month's time, they would get paid $50, okay? But the problem was the brick factory was charging them $75 to work and live there. So they were indentured servants. Never, ever getting out of bondage. Always in chains. Never able, they was never, ever going to be set free from working in that brick factory. And so our fellas, that burned in them, and, and they said, wait a minute, we, this is not right. So they found out how much money it's going to take to, to pay off their debt, and, and those fellas paid off that debt. Set those people free. Well, time, a few days go by, understand, and, and, and we were loosely working with a congregation up uh, north of Batabong in there, and so uh, uh, Kyle was able to get that taken care of, and those people moved to that church location because the people there said they were going to take care of them. But it was a, it was a little bit of a problem because as time went on, we found that we no longer work with that congregation, by the way, because the, their understanding of what is important is not quite what we think is important. And uh, they kicked those three families out. And so time goes by. When all, some time went by when all this transpires. And so we're in Cambodia for a pastor's conference, and we're traveling around doing things. And I think we were some kind of trip or something. Anyway, we're up at Batabong, and And Kyle had found out that these families had been kicked out of that church place. And so he heard that they were somewhere in Batabong. And he kept trying to get information. He kind of got an information of kind of where they were. And so we went to the outskirts of town, and we got out of our van, and we walked out into a rice field. And living there beside the rice field was these families. They, they were living on some wood pallets with two or three different kinds of tarp over their heads. Hot, hot, sunny day. Hot day. And they're all there, and they got the clothes on their bodies, and kids are running around, and there's several of them, and they walk up and see Kyle and, of course, go, you know, crazy. I had not met them yet, and so we had talk, and we're there listening, and, and uh, so... Uh, we had, before we got there, we had stopped and bought a 50-pound bag of rice and because they're going to eat food. And, and so we went walking through that rice field with that bag of rice. And, of course, when they saw it, their eyes lit up because they were hungry. They were in a bad way. Their brook had dried up. And we gave them the rice and when we were walking away from there, we spent some time there, and it was, it was a good time, and Kyle talked to him and encouraged him, and we prayed for him, those kind of things. 
But we're walking away. I don't remember who said it to me, but somebody said to me, I hope we have not just put them in danger because they weren't alone living by the rice field. There were several other families around. And so I heard that and went, I didn't think of that. Didn't think through that, I hope not too. Because I said, they'd be killed over that rice. And so instincts turned around, walked back. I mean, if people are over there about to kill them, we'll just, we'll get over there and help. I don't know what we'll do. Walk around a corner, you know what I saw? I saw those brick families waving at their friends or people that were living like they were beside that rice field and saying, come. And we stood there and watched as they gave rice away. That's this story. It still happens today. So, when your brook runs dry, you might be just about to experience some of the most exciting days of your life. When your brook runs dry, believe it, live it. Experience what God wants to do. Lord, we lift you up today. We're thankful for this story that ought to encourage us. We're thankful, Father, for the life lessons that we get from Elijah's story. May you speak to us today. May you heal brokenness. May you bring faith to some. May some be born again today. May your spirit encourage, inspire, exhort, May your spirit show us what we need to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.